Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning. A pleasant good Tuesday morning. There's some, uh, I'm not going to say hurting pups around here today, but I will say, uh, what would be the word? Elliot, help me with the word. Uh, Describe yourself right now. I'll find that word. Uh, let's see. I, I'm okay. Groggy? What about groggy? Groggy's a good word. Groggy? Little groggy. Little groggy. Little groggy. Everybody okay? Casey, you all right? Yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> Paul, you all right? I tried to stick it out last night, Tom. I made it till about 10 minutes before they actually called the game. So I guess I timed it right, kind of. Well, maybe not. Maybe everybody that left right away timed it right because they ended up not playing anyway. <laughs> That's when I left. Right when it's through. And man, did it pour. Yeah, it did. Holy Moses, did it pour. Jake, you're okay? I'm doing all right. You're good. Elliot, you all right? Besides all right. groggy? We're all right. Okay. All right. Welcome to uh, Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a. to 12. P. And you can join us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. If you'd rather join us in podcast form, by all means, just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. And you're dialed in. Big night at the ballpark last night. Chatterbox Sports Night. We'd certainly like to thank everybody who made it out there last night. Hope you had a great time. It was a beautiful night, at least till the eighth inning. Uh, and it was great to put so many faces with names that are part of our chat for nearly a year now. And I sincerely mean it. We sincerely mean it at Chatterbox Sports when we say thank you. It must have been Casey McAllister night as well. Now, what does that mean, you ask? Well, as you know, Casey is a big soccer guy. And what happens in soccer quite frequently, all too frequently? A tie. The Reds and the Giants were tied at two when the Reigns came in the eighth. Game ultimately suspended until tonight at 540. Matt McLean and Jonathan India hit home runs for the Red Legs. Christian Encarnacion Strand made his major league debut in 0 for 2. Brandon Williamson solid on the mound. He went six innings, four hits, two runs, did walk three while fanning three. Logan Webb of the Giants, this guy is a stud. I mean, this guy's really good. He went seven, allowed four hits, two solo home runs, didn't walk a batter, struck out seven. So tonight, they pick it up where they left off last night. Giants have runners in the eighth at second and third with one out, and then they'll play the second game shortly thereafter. Our guy, our guy's guy, Elliot's guy, Luke Weaver, will oppose Anthony D. Sclafani. All right, we're going to get to the rest of the day's news in just a little while. But joining us early today, because he has far more important things to do apparently today, is none other than the Tracer. Tracy Jones, who made an appearance last night at Chatterbox Night. I had a great time, didn't you, Tom? Talking baseball, watching time. baseball. And I was so impressed with everyone from Chatterbox. It was a first-class event. And I got to tell you, the highlight of last night was meeting Casey's wife. Boy, is she beautiful. And Paul's fiance. Paul, she has a great body. She's very attractive. Really enjoyed <laughs> meeting those two girls last night. We talked for whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on a second. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Now, 
I talked to Casey's wife for a little while. Paul, how in the world did I not meet your fiance? Tracy, I'd like to know how you met her too, because she wasn't there. <laughs> oh. oh, who oh, was that then? I'm, that wasn't your fiance. Yeah, I'd like oh. I'd like to know I'd like to know who that was that you met, Tracy. Well, I would like to know who you were hanging on all <laughs> night long. That wasn't your fiance. It was not. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Then I missed her. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Let's move okay. it along, Tom. Oh, boy. All right. Oh, boy. Yeah. So it's, it's all right. Yeah. Oh, boy. Sorry. Common misunderstanding, Tracy. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Tracy, sorry. when you said that, I'm like, gosh, I felt bad that I did yeah, not I'm meet sorry. his fiance. Now I feel really bad. Really bad. <laughs> that I didn't meet his fiance. Hopefully she isn't watching the show. No, you're coming on too early here, Tracy. She, she waits till you come on at 1130. You threw her off the game today. So no, but we had a great time. We had a great time. Hey, Elliot, what did you do with that $20 that I gave you last night? What was that for? It was for split the pot. It was, let me see if I can dig it out right now. It was for, it we was have proof of a ticket. Yeah, I have a ticket right here. Hold on. Here we go. Here we go. Let here we out. go. This, so Chatterbox last night did a giant split the pot ticket. So your $20 is invested in this split the pot. So if we win like $50,000, you will get your cut, Tracy. See, you're a liar because I know you took my 20 and you went to the brass ass. That's what you guys did. <laughs> I heard you guys talking. You guys wanted that $13 warm canned beer and then pay for the girls to keep their clothes on. That's how bad they are. I know what you did with that money, Elliot. <laughs> Oh, boy, things can go off the rails. I mean, just like that. Um, so, Tracy, it was great that you showed up last night. I know a lot of people were really excited about it. Um, look, let's talk about the Reds for a minute. You know, yeah. it just goes to show. And one of the reasons we love having you on is because I don't know if I've ever pointed this out to our audience. They can figure it out. But, I mean, you did play the game. And so you have insight into things that, that most of us commenters uh, simply don't have. Isn't it funny, though, how baseball, the Reds are uh, at the All-Star break. They're one of the highest-scoring teams in Major League Baseball. I think they were fourth, if I'm not mistaken, fourth or fifth before they got shut out that last game before the All-Star break by Wade Miley. They can't get anybody out as far as their starting pitching is concerned outside of Andrew Abbott, by and large. They'll get a start right. here or a start there. Now, all of a sudden, here we are, Come back from the break, offense shut out, offense shut out, offense gets three, last night gets two, but they get four great games from a starter. Go figure, right? Isn't it a crazy game? Yep. You, you sit down and you think you have it figured out. and you're, You know, I said it at the beginning of the season, I thought this team could lose 100 games. They're very exciting to watch. Uh, Tom, just watching the game and, and kind of breaking it down, because I see things that you people don't see. Yeah. Dela Cruz at third base. Now, seeing it on TV is a little different than seeing it in person. You know, Tom, we actually, you and I actually watched the game last night. I mean, we were breaking it down. We were really into it. And it was kind of cool because I like uh, sitting there talking to someone that knows the game. I mean, it would be terrible to talk to Paul and his fiance. And, and Casey and his wife, that would bore me. So, but watching his arm to spin and make that throw from the outfield grass, do you know how tough that is? I mean, it's just, 
he's so talented. And then the two hopper that he hits the shortstop and almost beat out. I mean, what a talented player. I just really enjoyed McLean miss hitting, in my opinion, that ball to right center. And it just kept carrying and carrying. The ball flies out to right center. I mean, I, I could see that. Just so many things breaking it down. And someone made the comment during the game, too, and I know this is a big one for you people, is Joey Votto not getting the guy over from second base with no outs. Those are big plays. He's got to get that guy over from second to third base because the uh, hyphenator, Encarnacion, he hits that ball up the middle. The infield would have been in. That's a base hit. I mean, little things. And sometimes when I watch a game and I'm there, I start to break it down too much. But I thought that was a big play with Votto not getting the Well, you're over spot on, and you and I just happen to be standing next to each other when that whole sequence took place. They get the leadoff double, and you and I are sitting there going, okay, you know, we know Votto at the very minimum. He's going to try and get this guy over. He, he hooks a ball foul. He gets yep. the one and two in the count, takes strike three. Run eventually does not come in, and, and who knows? Uh, it it might have been a win for the Red Legs, 3-2, uh, if they find a way to get that runner in. Um, I want to get back to De La Cruz, though, for a second about third base. You know, uh, he comes up as a shortstop. Big guy. You've talked about it before. You know, I mean, he's, right, right. Uh, Cal Ripken Jr. was a big guy. Alex Rodriguez, a really big guy. Uh, and they right. wound up moving A-Rod over to third base eventually. Do you think that, you know, for a player, and in this case, De La Cruz, but, but players in general, when you come up playing shortstop, which he has always been a shortstop. Do you want to always be a shortstop, or are you okay? Does it take a little stress off the body playing down at third more so than short? Well, I don't think I don't think there's a tougher position, well, maybe catcher, than shortstop. Remember, shortstops you can always move, right? Shortstops can play second base. They have the arm to play third base. I mean, look at Robin Yount when he was playing shortstop and moved him to center field. Dela Cruz, he looks really good at third base. I wouldn't be. I, I still think Dela Cruz would probably be a better shortstop than than McClay. But both that left side of the infield solid for the next you know five years for sure. But I, I like both those guys a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and then there's a whole David Bell juggling the lineup last night. Um, coming yes. out of the break, we wondered would he keep Jonathan India, who over the last I think month and a half is batting like a buck ninety. You know, it really is amazing. I, I want to focus on India for a second before I get to yeah. David Bell making the changes. Because, you know, the, the, there's this part about him uh, where he almost takes on the role of being a team captain, a team leader. I think he's very much all of those things. I think he's a gamer. Right. He, he, he cares. Right. He's passionate. He wants to win. He plays every day. All those things you want in a ball player. But, you know, I, I'm starting to wonder, Tracy, um, you know, you, you look at his rookie year, he comes up, he does really, really well. He's a rookie of the year. Last year, before he gets hurt, he has played roughly the same number of games and roughly the same number of at-bats and plate appearances this year as he had last year before he got hurt. And basically, the numbers are mirror images of one another. Hitting in the 240s, a little bit more pop this year, but not a ton. On base percentage, nothing to write home about. Uh, we know he's not a good defender. I, I just wonder if, you know, uh, we're seeing really who Jonathan India is, or is it too soon to be able to say that? 
You know what, Tom? I would have to really watch some games. I mean, really hardcore and watch India. Obviously, teams are, or pitchers are making the adjustments to India. Remember, when you're in the big leagues, the greatest ability in any any sport is the ability to adjust. My college coach, Marv Wood, used to say it all the time. You got to adjust. You got to adjust. Well, the pitchers, it sounds like, have adjusted to India, but India hasn't adjusted to the pitchers. So I, I would have to really watch. I don't know if okay. they're getting them out on sliders. I don't know if they're pitching them away. Um, but he's an important part of the team. I mean, you know, it's that chemistry thing. I don't like to use that term, chemistry. But that this team does. They have something going on, and I think India is a, a big part of it. But he's not okay. very good defensively. No, he's not. And, and I just really wonder where ultimately that's going to go because he's going to be up in arbitration where he can make a huge uh, jump in salary. Uh, but, the, you know, that, that, that's another uh, debate for another time. Um, uh, okay, now a player's perspective, if you will. Uh, we talked about India being moved out of the three-hole where he was batting up until the All-Star break. They come out the second, first game out of the break, and they got Fraley in a three-hole. India's dropped down in the lineup. I thought Votto should have gone to the three-hole. That's just me, but it doesn't matter. Point I'm asking is, last night now we see a dramatic shift, Right? where Ellie De La Cruz is now hitting leadoff, right? McLean's in the three-hole with Friedel now in the two-hole. Um, how do players view that kind of thing? Do they look at it like, hey, our offense is really struggling. That's probably a good idea. Or they look at it like, what's this guy doing? <clears throat> yeah, I, I would – juggling the lineup and talking about lineups – are probably the most boring topic I can think of until we talk about the Reds. Until we start talking about the Reds. And I'm thinking the same thing, Tom. I'm thinking, my God, that lineup changes every single night. It, it's kind of crazy. I don't like talking about lineups, but with the Reds lineup, don't you like to have a consistent lineup? Don't you like Pete Rose hitting first, Griffey, uh, uh, who hit second? Griffey? Joe Morgan third, Johnny Bench fourth. Yeah, I mean, but Tracy, was, come on now. I mean, we're talking about guys in the Hall of Fame or could be in the Hall of Fame or should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, come on. You just ripped off three names. Griffey had okay. 2,300 hits. Rose should be in. Morgan is in. I mean, come on. They, they don't have okay. any of those guys, despite the fact that when you listen to a lot of the media around here, they're already making the uh, Hall of Fame bust for uh, Ellie De La Cruz. But uh, nonetheless, um, come on. I mean, Okay, let me He's let me give you to do let me, something, right? I agree. I agree. Shake it up a little bit, but Montreal. Can I go back to when I played with Montreal? We had Buck Rogers put the same darn lineup every single night, same order. You had Reigns hitting first. You had uh, Galarraga third, Wallach fourth, Hubie Brooks fifth. And I'll tell you what happens. <laughs> we used to steal signs in Montreal. So if you were if Hubie Brooks and Tim Raines had like a communication and they would still signs as to where the pitcher was throwing inside or outside fastball curveball back in those days you can do it. So my point is it's good to have a lineup of consistency because you kind of trust mm. each other. You, I mean it's just one little thing that Montreal had, you know that that we could still signs. But when you're juggling the lineup. It's just, I don't like lineups being switched around. Once in a while to shake things up. Remember, I think Lou Pinella did it where they reached in a hat and pulled out a, a batting order. Some team did that, Reds team, long time on a Sunday afternoon ball game. But I like a consistent lineup. And they, they, but that's David Bell. That's how he manages. Kind of strange, though.
All right, look, you, you were always known as a gamer, hard-nosed player. Pete Rose loved you for that reason, among many other reasons, and all that kind of thing. Uh, you wanted to be out there every day. Uh, a lot of guys want to be out there every day. Sure. But, but much has been discussed that the, the, the primary players, position players on this team, um, have never played a 162-game schedule. Now, look, I know they're not going to play every single game. We know that. Okay, but the core of this team, Steer, India, De La Cruz, McLean, Encarnacion Strand is in the big leagues, Friedel. Okay, all of these guys have never played that length of a season. The minor leagues, you're in the high 120s, low 130s. Is that a big deal? You're probably asking the wrong guy because I couldn't stay healthy for 20, you know, for for five ball games, I was always hurt. But it is an adjustment going from the minor leagues to the major leagues and just the traveling, Tom. You know, I'm looking at the schedule and I also, I, I brought some notes, buddy. Oh, good, good, let her rip. Because I know I have to be on my A game because you always come prepared. But you've got San Francisco, Arizona and the Dodgers. You only have one day off with those four series. And, the, and your point is guys get worn down. You know, they get tired. There's a little pressure playing the big leagues. I know people think it's real easy. You just throw your glove out there, throw your bat, you get a couple of hits. But there's a little pressure out there. So it does wear on you a little bit. 120 compared to 160 games, it's a big difference. It's a great point, Tom. Um, okay. Uh, now comes the starting rotation. Um, you know, I mentioned here, here you've gone now. Well, tonight we'll go through a full turn with Elliot's guy, Luke Dreamweaver, getting the ball. But, but these first four games, I mean, you have really gotten good starts, man. Uh, I think the Williamson's kid's got a chance to be a good pitcher. You agree? I thought he was excellent last night, wasn't he? he was I, really, I just like really his slow. stuff. I think he's got good stuff. Um, yeah, you know, and, I got to watch him that, a little bit more, but, 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 but he looks like a guy who believes he should be and is a big league pitcher. Yeah, I was very impressed with his outing. I thought he looked like a big league pitcher. They certainly didn't hit him hard, right? I mean, yeah. it wasn't, you know, he, he's good. And that's Tom, I don't think I would make a move. I don't think I'd make a move for a starting pitcher. I'd wait till Adolo gets back and green and go from there. I, I just would hate to see them give up a great prospect to get some pitcher that's kind of half-assed. We talked about Bieber, right? And you told me he's hurt. I yep. mean, how many number one pitchers are out there? How many teams are willing to give away a good pitcher? Because everybody thinks they're in the hunt, right? Even if it's a wild card. Uh, I, just, I just think they stay the course. I would maybe add to the bullpen. I think that's a lot easier than getting a starter. Maybe a couple of bullpen guys. You agree? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that we're starting to see cracks now in the bullpen. And I brought this up a couple of weeks ago to start keeping an eye on Alexis Diaz. Uh, because, you know, this guy, I think I, he pitched 15, 14, 15 games in June. Uh, he's not been effective so far in July. Uh, early on in July, small sample size, I get it. But right. he's getting hit for the first time. And I just have to wonder. I mean, it seems like, you know, we were talking about it last night. Uh, Ian Jabot, some of these guys, it, it seems like they pitch – literally every night of the week. I don't know how those relief pitchers do that. I mean, because they're getting, they're, they get warm, almost what I mean, thrown in the bullpen. Sometimes yep. they're used, sometimes they're not. I mean, you almost have to have a rubber arm. 
I mean, you have 13 pitchers, right? You have 13 pitchers. Something, an article, Tom, I think you'd find this interesting, talking about knuckleball pitchers and why aren't there knuckleball pitchers anymore, right? R.A. Dickey, one of Cy Young. I faced Charlie Huff, Tam uh, Candiotti from Cleveland. But my point is this, if you had a knuckleball pitcher in that staff, he could eat up a lot of innings, right? I mean, you wouldn't have to have 13 pitchers. Knuckleball pitchers can pitch every single night. And I just don't know why they don't bring that back. I think they're very usable instead of so many pitchers and getting those guys. I mean, they're just eating up innings and almost burning themselves out. It's got to be tough to be a relief pitcher. There's no doubt, especially for this Reds team. Up until the last few days, they got the All-Star break. They haven't been overworked yet. But like you said, mm -hmm. no off day in sight. And... You know, we'll see how it kind of goes. Um, you know, I, I, I made the point earlier talking about Logan Webb last night. Um, you know, I've you read like a lot him. about the guy, uh, but you look at his last two years in the big leagues, and mm -hmm. Dave Fleming, one of the broadcasters for the Giants, was mm -hmm. on with us yesterday. The, the, the last two years, this guy goes 11-3, and three, ERA 3.1. Last year wins 15 ERA in the twos. And Dave Fleming was telling us, he's like, this guy's a throwback to the old days, man. You just give him the ball, forget pitch counts, run him out there, and he's ready to roll. For me, and I know Corbin Burns had the great game on Friday night. Last night, Webb was the best pitcher I have watched on television this season. I'm not saying he's the best pitcher in the game. But when I watch pitchers, that guy is a big-time pitcher. Well... We were talking about Webb last night, right? And and Tom, you, Tom, we're talking him up. I mean, he has got to be one of your favorite pitchers. You could he not is. say enough good things. And, and I'm thinking, well, Webb, he's kind of underrated and not really talked about. But he was really dominant. He, he just, he knows how to pitch. He goes right after the hitters. He doesn't waste any time at all. He's always around the plate. I was sitting there watching the game. Those umpire strikes zone, Tom. My God, it must be like this. There were a couple of pitches that pitches that Webb threw. He's like looking into the, you know, it was right over the plate. It's just, it's got to be tough to be a pitcher in the big leagues because you got to throw it over the plate. You really do. I mean, the umpire strikes out is so tight. Well, I know that you're going to meet Amanda Brenneman's husband today, and you have a very busy schedule, so we're going to let you get rolling. But is there anything else you need to get off your chest, off your mind, anything weighing you down, anything going on? No. Well, I just, I really enjoyed last night. I thought the spread was outstanding, but I thought what was really weak, and I saw it, and nobody's talking about it, Casey, with the potato salad, reaches in with his bare hands and pulls it out and puts it on his plate. I thought that was disgusting, Casey. Show some manners. I mean, that's just what they teach you to do in Bland. <laughs> yeah, there's, a lot, there's a lot of truth to that. And Paul, that girl you were with, I know it wasn't your fiance. That's a hot piece of ass right there. No doubt about it. Clean Heine. Lovely woman. Oh, God. <laughs> That'll go over well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sure. All right, Tracer. Thanks for coming out last night, man. Great hanging with you and good seeing you today. Thanks as always. Have a good rest of your day, and we'll see you on Thursday. All right. See you, boys. Had a good right, time man. last night. Thanks. Yeah, great time. Thank great you, Tracy. time. Tracy Jones, kind enough to join us. Good, good insight there from Tracy about some of these topics. Because, uh, well, you guys, I mean, I was shocked. I did not learn ahead of time, maybe you guys did on Twitter or something like that, that uh, the De La Cruz was leading off. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know prior to the lineup getting posted. But when they posted the lineup a few hours before, that was the first time we all saw it.
Jacob, Were you guys surprised by that move? De La Cruz to the leadoff spot? Yeah, I was surprised. I just I didn't think that David Bell would do that given how well Friedel has been in that spot. So I yeah, but I, I think I think Ellie could certainly could certainly be a leadoff hitter with how talented he is. But I do like Ellie. I prefer Ellie at the three. I prefer Ellie at three or four. Yeah, I've said for a long time I want Ellie to lead off for this team uh, in the future, so I was happy to see it. Nick Kirby threw it out on uh, Chatterbox Reds as a hypothetical the night before, so I don't know that it caught me that off guard, but definitely exciting because I think that's where he could end up. Tom, I was so, so excited for Matt to be in the third spot. Yeah, yep. And he hits a home run. I love it. Love it. How uh... – appropriate was it that Jonathan India hit a home run and had one of his better nights in the last two months on Chatterbox Sports Night. He's a triple away from the cycle, and we still have game to play. I, okay. <laughs> Trust Tree? Trust Tree. Had a dream last night he got that triple. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So. You what? I was so tired last night, I fell asleep in about two seconds, and I was dreaming all night long. One of those dreams was that Jonathan India finished off the cycle. You're kidding. Yeah, no joke. Probably because we were talking about it for a long time. Probably had a lot to we'll do see. with it. Yeah. Um, when, 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 uh, when, but when that lineup came out, you know, I, I, I was shocked. And it's not that I don't think that De La Cruz could be a good leadoff hitter, but let's be honest about it. I mean, they have a number of these guys right now in an extended slump. Steer has been in a lengthy slump. I think he only has, if I'm not mistaken, since the third week of June, I think he only has one extra base hit, something like that. I think you're right. Um, India, we know about his struggles. You know, McLean's slowed down, and, 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 and rightfully so. We understand this is the adjustment thing we're thinking. But, I mean, De La Cruz, he goes the entire Milwaukee series, doesn't have a hit. So I got no problem with David Bell mixing and matching and changing things up. None whatsoever. Why not just put him somewhere different? Maybe it loosens him up a little bit. Some might say it makes him press a little bit. I don't know. But why not mix it up? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Calling up CES gives you a very natural point in the season to change the lineup completely. I mean, you have a new bat. You have to put him somewhere. So sliding him in at, you know, and moving everyone around, I think, gives you a chance to, to change it up. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But you're at least giving the guys a chance to get a change of scenery and, you know, bat somewhere else. And, you know, that'll give a jolt to an offense that scored three runs and had ten hits in the biggest series of the year. So you had to do something. No doubt. Um, before, before, before we get to uh, uh, the pitching situation here in Williamson. I made the point. David Brown on the chat has been saying, he's been singing the praises of Williamson all along. I mean, even going back to when he's getting kicked around seemingly every time out. So, David, well done. Uh, I'm with you. I think the guy's got a chance. We did get updates yesterday from the Reds. I don't know if you guys caught these about Lodolo and Green. Not good? Not good. That's a shame. I mean, not that they're, uh, you know, uh, that they've worsened as far as their physical condition is concerned. But as we said right here on the program weeks ago, I mean, this Hunter Green thing, he's just throwing off the mound. They're talking about him mid-August, maybe. Lodolo, the S-word entered the equation yesterday Yikes. for the first time. You know what that is? September. September. 
I mean, you, you basically have a chance, and good Lord willing, I never w- would want anybody, any, any team, to ever be injured or hurt. I mean, no, no form or fashion. But, you know, depending on where the Reds are, I mean, there might be a chance they just shut that guy down entirely. Yeah, I would say if they're, if they're under 500, there's no chance they come back. I would just say there's no chance. I, I, Lodolo, they said, if, if what I heard was correct, he's still like two weeks behind Green. So I, even if Green comes back, Lodolo's, I just don't see it happening. I don't see it happening unless the Reds are in a, in a, in a playoff push, which they very well may be. Um, obviously, the offense is going to need to turn it around here to showcase that. But I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not very hopeful for those two to return. This season. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm incredibly optimistic about Hunter Green. Maybe okay. I shouldn't be, but it seems like he's kind of been on the same track the whole time, which, which does, you know, give me a little bit more hope. Lodolo, it seems like every week it's just another setback. And, and whether that's, you know, actual setbacks or just it's a slow process, I'm not entirely sure. But, I mean, it seems like we're getting closer and closer. You talk about the S word B in September. I think we're getting close to a shutdown regardless of where the Reds are. I mean, you, if you have to rush him back to pitch, God forbid, to start his first start for the Reds again in the playoffs, is that really worth it? I mean, how good is he going to be pitching in the minor leagues for a month and then coming up in, in crunch time, yep. especially if we're fighting for a division, which I assume we're going to be? I, I don't know. I, I'm really worried about Nicodolo. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not going to jeopardize this guy's future in any form or fashion. But if he finds a way to... be well enough to be sent out on a minor league rehab and they're right in the hunt and they feel like, you know, Dr. Timothy Kremchek, their director of medicine, gives them the full green light and this guy's ready to come up uh, after, you know, pitching five, six games, seven games down in the minor leagues. Uh, they're going to run him up there. And um, if they're in the hunt and if he's healthy, they're not going to jeopardize a young man's future to get three or four starts out of him in the month of September. That ain't going to happen. But, you know, look, you know, the flip side of all that is he could be really strong come September. That if he's physically okay from the calf and the shin and all that kind of thing, that when he comes back, physically, those guys tend to find a way to stay in really good shape. They can do some things um, that, that they can still get some cardio while they're not running, but they can do some other things. They can swim. They can do all kinds of different things. And he's out in Arizona. Uh, and Lord knows you better have a pool or a puddle or something within about <laughs> 15 feet every time you turn around after 12, 13 summers out there. Uh, you hope to be near some body of water. But, um, you know, look, he, you hope he can get back. You hope Green can get back. But it is nice to see that these young guys who are there now, at least for one turn through the rotation, are throwing the ball well. Yeah, and Graham Ashcraft, you know. We, oh, no we, doubt. We talk, we talk so much about Graham here and, and going through all this and sitting here wondering, is Graham going to be able to get back to that form that he was at earlier in the season? Um, nice to see him back there. Um, it, 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 is Everett, who is regularly on the chat, is there news about him? And, and he's having a kid. Yeah, I know he's having a baby, but I mean, everything's okay. He, he missed he missed the Chatterbox Sports Night last night because he had uh, I, one of I guess the last doctor's appointments to check up yeah, on the, the baby or tri- something. Nice trimester appointment. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You guys will find out about that soon enough. 
Casey maybe, might. Maybe. The little Casey's oh, running wait around. Wait a minute now. Oh, no. No. Some no. News? Little no, Casey's. There's no, news. there's no news. By the way, wait. I just noticed something here. Take that shot again of you guys over there. Something over there is. There's a coffee cup over there. Yeah. I don't know what that is. And then what is that thing? It almost looks like a, a spike uh, spice of some kind. What is that? Oh, is the, that the, new? No, that's been there for a while, Tom. Uh, so the, those all right, the, well then pardon me for not noticing before we, now, uh, but it just did catch my eye. What is, what is so that? Why do we have next to bobbleheads and cards yeah. and everything else a yeah. spice? So that those are the crickets. We, yeah. Elliot and I had to eat crickets as a punishment on boxed lunch a while ago, and those are the leftovers. We thought they belonged on the show. Yeah, they're crickets. They're crickets. Freeze-dried crickets. Now, the other, the other thing that you're talking about, uh, my, my, silly, my silliness forgot it, but there's also another little thing oh, that we want to – hang on. What is that? Uh, hold, hold that it's out a for a second. <laughs> what is this? Cubs World Series ring. Oh, my God. You see that? <laughs> it's got to belong to a Reed. That's a Reed Mouse that's, special. That's, that's, a that's a Reed Mouse special. That's, that's something. Who, who, whose ring is it? Do you remember? I think he said Ben Zobrist. Yeah, Zobrist. Probably Albert See, Almora. I, I forgot the thing that I was supposed to bring yesterday. Most people from the game oh, yeah. know about what oh, yeah. uh, know about it, but um, I actually bought a thing Saturday that resembles a, um, a dead cow, and it's a dead cow spice. I was supposed to bring it in today. A what? A dead cow. A dead cow spice? Yeah. It's called the dead cow shake. Naturally, Tom, you've never heard of it? No, I have never heard of it. And I'm, I, I would venture to say that 99.9% .9 of the people in this world have never heard of this. You're telling me when you grill out burgers in Terrace Park, you don't throw dead cow spice on the top of it? Dead cow uh, shake. No. Dead, dead cow shake. Sorry, dead cow shake. See? It's really good. It's really good with some some nice big old burger patties. Just sprinkle it on there. Got What's your fascination with killing animals? No doubt about it. His bride I threw him straight in front of the bus last night, <laughs> right in front of his uh, his mom and dad, and her mom and dad. Weren't they there? Yeah, they were there too. And I don't have a fascination with killing animals. I just. Sometimes they and get speaking in the way. of thrown under the bus. Casey ran over a rabbit too. We found out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he says that you know his bright lights don't work, and then his mom says to him right there, "I'm just standing there." I mean, I felt like I was in the middle of like you know some, um, you know Hank Hill kind of thing going on, right? <laughs> Where all of a sudden, you know, his mom looks at him and says, "Didn't I give you some money to get those bright lights fixed?" He says, "Well, I I I I fixed them for my wife's car." That went to bet Fred Sports. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what that actually meant. That was code word. So what's the what's the um, what's the tally now, Casey? You've killed a cow. You've killed a family of <laughs> raccoons. You've killed a rabbit. I mean, we didn't we didn't talk about the dog that I almost hit. I don't want well, to hear. Uh, no, no, no. We don't need to go there. We don't need to go there. That one. That one was definitely not intentional. And I actually swerved. I almost hit a person to get away from the dog. Casey. Brother. Didn't, didn't cause any harm, though, to either <laughs> part. This is all good. This is a tough pill to swallow. <laughs> you got to stop digging this hole, Casey.
you're not doing yourself any favors. No. I love animals. I have I have four animals at my house. I have three cats and a dog. Do we need to For rescue them? Do we need to rescue them? <laughs> They're doing perfectly fine. Healthy. Might have to send animal care and control in. ASPCA might have some questions here. That's PETA. exactly right. SPCA oh. Cincinnati, they're all over it. I actually have a hotline to them. I may have to get on there. <laughs> all right, Ham and Eggers, take it away. We got uh, Tim McGee coming up at 11 o'clock. Bengals training camp is about a week and a half out. And uh, we're going to kind of walk through him a, a little bit of, of, of what goes through the mind now of a player. Training camp, getting ready, expectations. Remember, he played on a team that went to the Super Bowl, right? 1988. And then the expectations for the next year, expectations which were not met. But we're going to talk about uh, some of that with Tim McGee. Walk a little bit more through uh, the Reds uh, and their game last night and what to expect coming up for tonight. Because when they resume play, uh, right out of the gate, David Bell's got to make a decision. Yep. Right out of the gate. Giants got a walk against Young when he came into the game. They get a double down the line, runners at second and third, infields in. Ground ball to Votto, runner stay put. So, are you going to walk the guy when you come back and resume play and load up the bases, right? Uh, or are you going to pitch to him with one out? So, we'll talk about some of that when we come back. Ham and Eggers, the stage is yours. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. We're going to have Tim McGee on the show, which means we are going to talk about the Bengals. And the Bengals report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Oh, Elliot, you got it spot on. You can visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. Also, there is a new premium alkaline water, Pawnee. We love our Pawnee guys. Thank you to Pawnee Water for sponsoring the show. As always, it's made across the street right here in Hamilton, Ohio. It uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. And the result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. You can visit their website at PawneeWater.com. That's P-A-H-H niwater.com p-a-h-h-n-i water.com to see where you can find it drink pawnee water get your coffee from udf bet with betfred and get your technology solutions from encore jacob and elliot how was oh. your guys's night last night elliot are you dry i'm dry for now yeah i i will say my voice is hurting i was screaming last night so if you if you hear me kind of coughing in the mic today that's what's going on here you said, you said you've been having some coughing issues anyway. I think it's the air quality. I can't be sure, or it's something really serious. I'm hoping it's not that. But I think it's the air quality, because I've been coughing a lot more. And I just think it's like maybe the wildfires did it to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat as Elliot. I'm a little raspy today. And I didn't bring a water. It was a fun night, though. It was a fun night. You need to go grab yourself some Pawnee water. I'd love to. There's nothing I'd love to do right now than to go do that, but I can't leave the show. Some pawning water. Casey, everything yeah. good? Yeah, I'm doing great. Um, you know, last night was a really great time. For those of you that went, thank you. We appreciate it. Yeah. Um, it, was a, it was a success. Um, it was really good. Um, everyone had a great time. 
Um, the people that came up and introduced themselves as their chat names, we appreciate <laughs> that. Um, and some of you, they even uh, gave us some gifts and stuff for our. Uh, oh yeah, did you bring the? I, did you bring the Spirit Cats gift? I, I forgot to bring everything that I needed to, to bring. Okay. It's all at my house, though. It's all on my table, Casey. ready to go. Okay. Okay. I, I just had a lot Casey. on my mind today. What are we on top of it, kid? What are we doing? What are we on top of it? I had, I you was also forgot thinking... to bring the Viking helmet last night. Buddy drinks four beers. I, I'm just worried. <laughs> I was just thinking and worried about the, the stuff that we got to do today after the show. Fair. So that, that was on my mind. Company man. And, and uh, tomorrow it'll be on there for sure. Um, well, the real spirit cat brought us a fun little gift to display on the show that he made for us. So did, so did uh, Mr. Mitten. Same guy. Oh, same guy. Same guy. Oh, didn't want to expose him. Oh, well. Well, he's in the chat too. Is he? Yeah. Okay. Oh well, he brought us. Some, <laughs> he brought us some uh, some coasters. The real that, spirit that are, cat did? Yeah, yeah, that are engraved. They have Chatterbox <laughs> logos on them. You're kidding me. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. They're really awesome. So now we don't have to stain the tables anymore with all of our uh, yeah. wheel of lunches. You know, the real spirit cat, I had a chance. I couldn't believe when, when I saw him last night because his son, uh, who goes to Reading High School, his son is a really good hockey player. Apparently one of the better guys in the, in the whole region, state, whatever. My, and he's a monster, this guy. Uh, but he also plays on the golf team. And so um, any time that Marymont would end up in a tournament and, and Redding was there, it seemed like every single time our son, Luke, would be in the same group as his son. So for the last three years, he and I have been walking around together, just striking up a, you know, Casual friendship out on the golf course, watching our kids play golf. And then all of a sudden I see him last night. As soon as I get in there, I'm like, what are you doing here? He says, I'm the real spirit cat. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. That was really cool. That was really cool. It's really cool. And, and, and so where are the coasters? Did you stick those in like your house somewhere or what? So I'm going to bring everything I was supposed to bring tomorrow. And it's going to be somewhere up here. I'll text you tonight and remind you. Yeah, I might need that. And we found out Don't your you bride, will. by the way, is having her ACL done on Friday, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Well, we wish her well. She appreciates wish her well. that. All right, let's get into the game, what you're going to do if you're David Bell coming back. They had the left-hander on the mound last night, talked about he walks the leadoff man. Boy, that's always a great thing. When you bring in a lefty to face a lefty and he walks a guy to start the inning of a 2-2 game. Next guy doubles down a left field line. Then comes Conforto. Left-handed batter. Taps out to the first baseman. Runner stay put. So when they resume play today at 540, you have J.D. Davis coming up, right? Yep. Who Dave Fleming told us yesterday he's been their best player, right? He thinks he's been their best player. Uh, he's going to be the batter. He's a right-handed hitter. So he will be coming up, and I want to make sure I got it right on who's batting behind him now in the lineup. Okay, so you then have the catcher, right, coming up after him, Patrick Bailey, uh, who also, uh, he's a switch hitter. So, all right. 
you'd have to look at the splits. Let's just see here for a second. Are you automatically, let's see here, against left-handed pitching as a right-handed batter, he's hitting 333. As a left-handed batter, far more at-bats, right? Uh, two and a half times in number. He's hitting right around 260. Uh, much higher on-base percentage against left-handers. So, with that in mind, are you just going to bring Young back? No, I would, yeah. put, I would put in Lucas Sims. Jacob, Jacob. Uh, yeah, Elliot and I were talking about this before the show. I, I think it's pretty much a no-brainer to walk uh, J.D. Davis and open up the double play. I mean, you have one out. Joey Votto made a great play, looking the runners back to second and third and getting that out at first. Yeah, I think you walk uh, J.D. Davis and you bring in Lucas Sims. I think that's you know kind of what everyone's been suggesting in the chat. I think that's going to be the move. Okay. You guys agree with that? You like yeah. that move, Paul? Yeah. You're going to have to do something here because this is a huge swing of a day where if you go out there, you can figure out a way to win this game and then win the next game. Maybe the Brewers lose tonight. I mean, that's a th today's a massive swing day. There, there's, there's a lot on the line today for the Reds because you lose both and the – excuse me, the Brewers win. I, then you're, you're starting to dig yourself in a hole if that happens. Well, the other day, you may remember, David Bell elected not to walk the bases loaded. Right? Yeah. He decided not to do that. Yep. Now, every situation's different. More times than not, I'm sure he would, and I would assume that's exactly what we're going to see when they resume play today. Um, we talked about the Brewers. Uh, they were off yesterday. So here they play three games after the break. Boom, off day. They open a series tonight in Philadelphia. Phillies are playing good baseball. Um, the Cardinals won last night. Uh, and the Cubs lost. Big article today written by Ken Rosenthal. The Cubbies. It's looking more and more like they're going to be sellers at this trade deadline. John Moselock, president of baseball operations, has already said that he, you know, th there are changes coming. But it is interesting to note that when you look at the Cardinals, you know, I, I don't know why. I think everybody kind of feels like, you know, they've won three in a row. They've won seven of their last ten. Do you feel like they still got a shot to get it together? I mean, right now they are 11 out of first. They're nine behind the Reds for second, which would put them right in the middle of the wild card. I mean, we've been saying this the entire time, right? We've been saying the whole time that are the Cardinals the team to, to keep an eye on? I I still I, – I don't know, though. It just feels like they've had so many struggles up to this point in the season to be this far back. And, I mean, yeah, maybe they've won a few, but everybody in baseball gets hot at some point in the season, even the worst teams. I mean, look at the athletics. Yep. Even, even the worst teams win a few games in a row here and there. So, I'm not saying they're the athletics. They certainly are much better than the athletics, but – you know, water finds its level in baseball, and eventually some teams start to win some games. Problem is they've already dug themselves in this big of a hole. Yeah, I can't see a world where the Cardinals get close enough where they don't sell at the deadline. And if you tear this roster down at all, if that pitching staff gets any worse, which I assume Flaherty's gone and probably Michaelis and some other guys, I don't see any way they stay competitive in the division. Yeah, they just they, – they, they beat the Nationals and they beat the White Sox. They're yeah. not – I, I'd say the Cardinals are still in trouble. Well, the Nationals are a tough team. They, they just beat the Cubs, so the Nationals are a tough team. You're right. Never mind. You're right. 
Steve Ross makes a good point here, fellas. The problem with Lucas Sims walking Davis, if that's the move you make to load him up, is Sims can walk a guy unintentionally. Very good point. Yep. Do you consider just pitching? If it is Sims, do you consider just pitching to Davis, trying to get the strikeout? And if he walks him, he walks him, and you're in the same place? You know, the more and more I think about it, I might. Sims is a strikeout pitcher. Big-time strikeout pitcher. Um, and you always do roll the dice when you load them up. Um, putting that extra pressure on a pitcher who at times can struggle when his command. When Sims is throwing the ball well, he's as nasty as any reliever in the league. Right? Right. Yeah. But, man, if something's a little bit off, because we've seen him great and we've seen him bad. And luckily, luck, I will say this, luckily for the Reds, Webb is done. So right. I yeah. think Webb was still going to go maybe at least one more inning. So they will have a chance to score a run or two. But walking in a run would be a nightmare scenario. If you intentionally walk J.D. and then walk again, just a walk-in run is just brutal. And you can't do it. You can't win games when you're walking in runs. It's just not something you can do. So I, I'm with you, though, Paul, about this whole thing. I, I mean, th- th- this is going to be a big Five hours down there at that ballpark huge, tonight. Huge five hours. Because if the Reds win both and the Brewers lose, boom, you're right. I mean, game wipe, and a half. Wipes away everything from last, from, from not everything, but a Just lot of out. the bad, a lot of the bad juice from the weekend, boom, gone. Yeah. And then, of course, the flip side is you can go from four or two back to a half a game back under that scenario. Yeah. You win. The suspended game, you win the second game with Elliott's guy, Luke Dream Weaver. That's right. Against Anthony DeSclafani. Well, they're winning that game. You can pencil that in. Yeah, that one's already over. Yeah, but we'll, 15 to 4. How up. about back to back? Seven strong from Luke Weaver, and then the bridge <laughs> is Ian Jabot in the eighth to get it to Alexis Diaz. <laughs> I'd hate that. I'd hate it. I'd hate it. The pride of Great Britain. We'll Houston, see. Texas. Well, he played for Great Britain. Yeah. But it, uh, we'll see if the magic of Dreamweaver can carry over two games. I don't know if it's that strong. It's got to carry over the first Giants game and then the second one. So we'll see. We'll see. Someone in the chat suggested that when the Reds take the field, that the video board should be running your clip in the hot tub. Nobody yes. should see that clip again. Nobody should ever oh, see well, that. We're definitely going to see it today because <laughs> he's on the mound tonight. <laughs> the other thing I want to ask you guys about, and look, Artie Moreno, the owner of the Angels, has said we're not going to do it. The Angels are a game under 500. they They're buried. They beat the Yankees last night. Shohei hits number 35. 35 bombs. Guys, is it not franchise suicide? Seriously. If you don't trade him? What's the return for him? Oh, my Three Lord. Three of a team's top five I mean, you're going to get... That might, be a, that, that might be a six, seven, eight player swap for him. The package I saw thrown around from the Mets was Brett Beatty, who's 23 years old, playing third base for their major league team, and four of their top five prospects for Shohei Otani. Like that's the package you're talking about. You're setting your team up for decades. 
But would you want to trade the best player, arguably, in the last, I don't know, 100 years? Okay, but here's the thing. They've got two of the best players in the last 100 years on the same team. But even, and they're not even 500. They haven't been for <laughs> six years. But even so, having that talent on your team gives you a chance no matter what. So I would argue that trade, if the Reds had a guy like that and traded him for prospects, I would lose my mind. I'd lose it. Uh, not if he's going to walk the next year. I couldn't I, disagree more. I would lose my mind. But they have the funds. They have the money. I think there's a virtually 0% chance he resigns. You know what? If you look at their team, they, they, I know they're in L.A. I know they're a big market. I understand all those things. And, and that's a fact. But, you know, you look at the money they have tied up in Trout, right? The money they have tied up in Anthony Rendon, right? I mean – you all of a sudden add Otani, and he might be a, he might be baseball's first forty million or fifty million dollar player, probably right. Yeah, I mean, you can't even field a team out there without just losing money left and right. With just those three guys alone. So why don't we trade Trout? If we want to keep Otani so bad. Well, I mean, you know what? That same, might be an option. You get the same return, right? He's a no, 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 no. no. Not you get even close. a return, though. Pretty close. And Trout's, even return, close. Right? Trout's injury prone, too. Not now, even so. close to the same return. No one in the history of sports, any sport, would net a return close to Shohei. This okay. is an interesting question here. Jordan says, would you trade the rest of Ellie De La Cruz's career for the rest of Otani's career? I'm not the biggest long-term Otani fan. He, he didn't pitch his first two years in America because they were worried about his arm. I mean, he's been great in the majors, don't get me wrong. He's one of the best pitchers in the league. But I, I really wonder how long the whole two-way thing can last. And, and if he does drop to just a one-way player, I'm keeping Ellie. I would, I would take Shohei Otani. I would take Shohei Otani. Even if, even, even if it doesn't work out for the pitching side of things, he has 35 home runs at that midway point. So I, th I think you're going to be okay with him in right field or DH, wherever he plays. He's also eight years older is the other thing. True. That is, that is very true. Which does matter, yeah. Sir Boy Wonder says simply, hell no. Here. He would take De La Cruz. I think Sir Boy Wonder might take Ellie De La Cruz over Jesus Christ himself. Wait, I, yeah, that's <laughs> a, ask, ask the question. You might again. be Sorry, right I, I on was, that. I was working on something. What was the question? Would you trade the rest of Otani's career for the rest of Ellie's? Yeah. Now Ooh. remember the age. We just brought that up. Otani's twenty-eight. Ellie's twenty-one. If you're going to trade the rest of Ellie's career, yeah, yes. The greatest baseball player of all time? Yeah, I mean, if you think Shohei Otani can be a two-way player for the next decade, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Well, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Because, I mean, what if De La Cruz does turn into a guy who, you know, you keep him around? I mean, that's the other part of this whole thing, right? If you're saying you sign both of them to 10-year contracts tomorrow, which, wh wh whose who's next 10 years do you like more? I mean, if, if De La Cruz turns into this guy that everybody out there thinks he's going to be. I still cannot get over. I know I've brought this up seemingly every day since I heard it over the weekend. I still cannot believe some of the things smart people in the media who have said some of the things on the air that they have said about Ellie De La Cruz and the Baseball Hall of Fame. I cannot believe 
people say that stuff. I think it, I think it's just the excitement. I think this franchise has been down for so long. Yeah. To get the spark that Ellie has provided this city has been. I mean, I, I'm trying to equate it to another player, but in my lifetime, I haven't seen that. So I, I kind of understand it. But to your point, to erect a, a a statue for Ellie De La Cruz one month into his career is crazy. Crazy. Oh well. Um. We got Tim McGee coming up here in a matter of minutes. Uh, a couple of other sports things. Uh, I'm trying to remember what we had there in the uh, open that we never got to because we got right to Tracy here, Jones. I got you right here, Tom. Um, okay, I'm just trying to figure out. Talked about Shohei. Uh, how about this note, by the way, Casey? Soccer. Yep. Your guy, Cristiano Ronaldo. Right? <laughs> yeah. He says the Saudi League is better than the MLS. And that he has no plans to ever play in the United States or a team in Europe because the Saudi league is that good. Tom, let me flip this one back to you. What do you think would happen to our guy Ronaldo if he made a disparaging comment about the Saudi league? <laughs> if yep. one of the most famous He would face athlete, the same as the journalist did. If quite literally the most <laughs> famous person in the world, Cristiano Ronaldo... Made a comment about the Saudis. Quite literally, the most famous person in the entire world disparaged the Saudis. Don't think that would Where be. Where Lord hard. knows. I mean, live money is tip money compared to what they're paying that dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tip money. I was about to say it's all about this. Yeah. It's all about that. I mean, his guy, Messi, right? He's now in, in the MLS. He got that bag. Yeah, he did. Got big bag. Yeah. And Ronaldo says he's got all these players, these big-time players, leaving because of him and coming to play in the Saudi League. Now, do you think that is him, or do you think it's the cash? It's both. Ah, it's the cash. Yeah, it's the cash. Come he on. didn't even play on the World Cup team last year. I mean, he was on the roster, but, like, he's not what he was. It's the same as Messi. They're old, and they go and play in a different league. Did you see the story, by the way, about Messi in uh, going to the grocery store? Did you see this story? Yeah, we talked about it real quick. You did. Well, because he was he's sponsored by Publix, so I'm thinking it's just a brand deal, and he had to go to Publix one time and then make his presence. But he wasn't swarmed by people. Apparently, he can't walk no. out. He can't go anywhere, of course, in most places all over the yeah. world. Well, once people started to recognize him, you could see somebody was videotaping pretty much the whole thing. And once people started to kind of pick up on who he was, he, you could see him tell his family, hey, we need, to, we need to maybe head out of here. But, yeah, it's not like if he went somewhere in Argentina. Or, well, it would or not be fun to Europe. live that way. It would not be fun to live that way. All the money in the world can't buy that life. Yep. Where, where you and your family, you know, go to a grocery store, um, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it'd be all that appealing. Lastly, in football, I'm going to ask Tim McGee about this. We know training camps are set to open around the NFL coming up next week, week and a half. Tyree Kill made the comment that he is going to do something that no man has ever done before, and that's put up 2,000 receiving yards in a single season. The record is held by Calvin Johnson, 1,964 yards for the 2012, I believe it was, Detroit Lions, 2,000. 
that requires him to have an average of 118 yards a game. I think he can do it. I think there are other guys who can do it, too. I, I don't think Tyreek Hill can do it strictly because of Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle takes a lot of yards, a lot of catches. He's a very good receiver. He's consistently in the conversation with guys like T. Higgins and Devontae Smith for the best second receiver in the league, if you even want to call those guys second receivers. So I, I, think, I think we're going to see the first 2,000-yard receiver be in a situation much like Calvin Johnson where they're getting 80%, 90% of the targets. I think that's the only situation where that's yep. a feasible opportunity. That's, that's why I was getting ready to say, it, when I said I think there's some other guys that can do it, Jamar Chase would not be one of those right. guys simply right. because of T. Higgins. Justin Jefferson's at the top of my list yeah. of who I think could do it. Yeah. Could see Devontae maybe this year. Absolutely. With the bad Raiders team, I mean, they're, they don't have very many uh, targets right Darren now. Waller. But they that's Jimmy Darren. G at quarterback. Yeah, that, that's a tough ask. Devontae can catch and run, Tom. He'll, he'll take those yes, dump he offs can. all the way. <laughs> yes, he can. Uh, and, of course, uh, for Tyreek to have any chance at all, two has got to stay on the field. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a real big one. That's a big deal. Um, all right, before Tim comes on, tell me – one person you met last night that surprised you with how they looked. Meaning, we read their name in the chat, and maybe you have a mental picture in your mind, and now all of a sudden you meet that person, and you're like, you got to be kidding. It's uh, a good question. I don't think there was anybody that was there last night that I met that I didn't already know what they look like. So I don't know if I'm the best one to answer this question. Casey? Um, first time meeting Mouse Cop. Oh, no, that's yep. totally wrong. 100%. I, I slandered Mike Ackley's name to his face, not oh, realizing no. who it was. <laughs> yeah, I was well, jokingly, oh, obviously. But yeah, oh, yeah, I, 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 I felt bad. I was, I was talking to Mike Ackley about uh, some takes from Mike Ackley. They, they were not actually his takes. I mixed up some chat members. And then he goes, hey, I'm Mike. And I said, whoops, my bad. We, it was fine. Well, my name is Mouse Cop. You know, Mouse Cop, it's a great guy. He's a leader of men. And he, and he, and he leader of men? Yeah, Mouse Cop, yeah. <laughs> you Mr. mean ha Mr. Hamiltucky? Mr. Hamiltucky. I, you know, I met him last night. I didn't know what to expect. He knew weird things about where I lived. So I was, you know, I had to meet him for my own safety, honestly. But when I met him, he was a very, a very pleasant man. And I'm happy to have met him. He was, I think it's a Mouse Cop clean sweep of the room, isn't it, Tom? Yeah. 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 You were yeah. shocked when you met Mouse Cop. I was shocked. Wonderful person. Everyone from the chat I met was just absolutely great. No doubt about it. But, but, but I don't know why. Now, Reed Mouse claims, he was saying this before the show today, and of course, uh, you know, for, for Reed Mouse, Mouse Cop is uh, public enemy number aught here, right. right? Yeah. Okay. That's an old musical song. <laughs> That's above your guys' scale. Uh, but... Um, yeah, I was shocked. He, he says he swore that he thought Mouse Cop was a very young guy, which he is. Uh, I thought he'd be an older guy, but uh, Mouse Cop, well done. All right, uh, time to bring in our buddy, former Cincinnati Bengals great, the pride of Tennessee, where finally, Tim McGee, they've cleared the decks on all that whatever was going on down there at Tennessee. They're finally putting some of those dark days to bed. You know, it's uh, it's funny you actually said that because it's anytime a school gets in trouble, blame it on the coach. The coach, the coach, the coach. But uh, 
you know, when, when you find Tennessee eight million dollars, that's kind of like taking the change out of my cup holder. So, uh, but they'll be able to continue on and, and win some football games, hopefully. You know, though, it is in a, just to, to finish up that theme because college football, of course, is right around the corner from getting started again. And Tennessee lost a lot, but you know, it, it really is good to see them coming back. Because uh, for so many years, guys our age, Tim, uh, when you were there and playing there, and of course, you know, Peyton Manning and blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, Tennessee's one of those schools, when they're good, it's good for college football. And the reason being, it gives another flavor in the SEC, in the country. You get, I mean, don't get me wrong, great programs in Alabama, great programs in Georgia and Ohio State, of course, but you know, you, you, you want a little bit more balance. And I, I think when the Vols, the Tennessee is a program that don't have many enemies. They're not that uh, where teams, people root against them. It's pretty much rooting for them. And of course, you have that, that orange, that nostalgia, that uh, rocky top. Uh, you know, it's hard to dislike Tennessee. Yeah, they're going against your team. You don't want them to win, but for the most part, the university has, you know, it's a very classy university. It, it has a rich history. Uh, there's just a lot to like about the university. And, and I, again, I just think it gives great balance for college football. How do you think this Hendon Hooker is going to do in the pros? We know what happened to him last year. He got hurt. It, it was devastating to Tennessee's season. He was having such a great year. He's going to have a chance to play in the pros. He was drafted. Do you see him as a pro quarterback? I see him as a pro quarterback in time. And here's the reason why that uh, what I call Mickey Mouse offense that was very successful at Tennessee, that's not an offense that you're going to run in the pros. So he's going to have to learn a more of a pro system, be more patient with the football. He's learned his reads. Now, obviously, that will give him some time to do it. But I think he has the basic tools to do it. Obviously, he had the setback with the ACL injury. So I, I, I think these all can work in his favor or all the things that the adversity he's faced can work in his favor because he'll have time to learn. When you say, Tim, a guy goes into a pro-style uh, 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 system and he's coming into the NFL, uh, did we lose Tim or is he still there? I think he's still there. Saying he's still there? Okay. Um, I, I don't see him up there. That's why I was, I was curious if, if maybe he went out. There he is. Uh, I, I'm curious, Tim, um, if um, – if, what does that mean? I mean, put that as in, in simplistic a form as you can for us novices out there. Uh, what that means for a quarterback now to learn a pro system. I guess you didn't like my answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you there, Tom? I was just trying to see you straight up, so I was turning this way. No, so what now, does can, that mean? Can you see me better? Yeah, I see you fine now. Yeah, what does that mean? Okay, here's what that means. You get a guy in college. He, he works in a system in college that works great for college football. Uh, you're going to be at the line of scrimmage. You're going to run a play in 13 seconds, 14 seconds, or whatever. Keep the defense off balance. You're going to out-talent and out perform your opponent based on the offensive coordinator slash head coach's scheme. In the pro, it's more individual talent. You're going to have to show, you're going to have to show that every you're out on the field with 
11 guys that's just as smart as you, just as fast as you, just as talented as you, and you have to learn a system that within the offensive court or court, uh, offensive coordinator's scheme that you can be successful as in understanding not just the philosophy but the execution because offenses times are based on what the defense gives you and you have to be able to recognize that and he has not seen that on the level in, in of college football and again he has the injury that that yep. set back along because again he won a lot of football games with his legs and at the pro level you can win some but that's you can't really do that as a steady diet unless you're the infamous lamar jackson right um so uh training camp's coming up um what is the what is the mindset let's start with a veteran player what what is the mindset now that you know you're a week and a half away from starting this grind and it is a grind it may not be the grind it was when you played because you can't hit as much uh, during, you know, training camp and all that kind of thing, even into the regular season, you can't hit as much. But, but what's the mindset of the guys that have been around for a while as they're, as they're approaching this day? Well, number one, you're chomping at the bit because believe it or not, although people like you and I, we love vacations. Those guys, vacations are more annoying you know, because of family members. Your wife said, hey, we got to go. Yeah, you want to reset yourself from, the, from a long season, but now – you're chomping at the bit to get back with your teammates, get back in the locker room, you know, just get back to what you do and what you do best is not only is it your livelihood, it's something, Tom, honestly, man, you enjoy it so much. It's, you know, if for, for players or people that play golf or pickleball, whatever your passion is, NFL players, that's your passion. Now, again, I don't believe in that crap about I'll play the game for free. I wouldn't, but your passion is so elevated at this time of the year because you can just taste it. And when you go into training camp, yeah, you're, you're right. It's long. It's it's a grind. It's a process. You get bored playing against and practicing against the same guys every single day, sometimes twice a day. But it, this is your family. It's your home away from home. It's your family away from home. And, you know, the guys in the locker room, man, that's pretty much the only thing you can uh, you can relate to. I, 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 I liken it to Tom baseball baseball play the players play like 20 years and they're so comfortable in that clubhouse that that's the only thing you become you know accustomed to so football players is the same thing and training camp is not a, a bad thing it's not an omen it's not something you look oh god we got to go through training camp no you're ready and especially if you super bowl what about a young guy because, you know, you talked about, uh, Tim, uh, when last time we had you on is when the Bengals were in uh, rookie minicamp. And these guys are coming in and you talked about how they need to learn. It's not so much on the field stuff, but it's learning the offense, learning the defense, all those kinds of things. Okay, now you have, you have uh, rookie minicamp, you have OTAs under your belt, but now as a rookie, this is your first NFL training camp. A, what's a mindset? B, what, what 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 happens for a rookie that they notice right away that maybe they didn't get a feel for in in rookie minicamp or OTAs? Well, things turn up. Everything turns up. The the speed turns up. The learning curve turns up. Now, especially, and this is the most important fundamental of football that separates the boys from men. It's that third and fourth chin strap rule. When you're in minicamp and you're in OTAs, nobody's going to hit you. You're flying around. You can be, you know, you can be the next uh, Jamar Chase. But 
when you buckle that tent strap up and you put that mouthpiece in, it's a whole new different ball game, man. It is everything is elevated. The lights are on. It's you know, it's it's time to perform. And Tom, I have seen guys that are super duper physically talented, but they just could not get over that hurdle of when the lights come on and millions and millions of people are watching you and you have to react and you have to go out there and perform. They just can't handle that. And that's what training camp will be for rookies. They'll be able to see how the T Higgins and the Joe Burrows and the Jamar Chases, how they handle these situations, which now they don't have that pressure. If you are a rookie, more than likely, you don't have that pressure. You can learn how to become a pro and you can see how it's done by the pros. And inevitably, it's just like we all go through that revolving door, that learning curve. So they're going to be no different than the Jamar Chases and the Joe Burrow that I spoke of. But it's, it's their turn to really learn and process it. The question is, will I get the opportunity and or the reps to prove my worth, to prove my value? Will that be an opportunity that has been given to me? When you first came to the Bengals, they had some established star players at wide receiver. And something you just said prompted me to think this. Because say uh, the kid uh, Jones, right? The wide receiver, the kid out of Purdue, right? Everybody thinks this guy's a really talented guy. Maybe he'll be the guy next year that steps in for Tyler Boyd if they don't bring Boyd back. Um, But you know the chances are more than likely, God forbid, some kind of injury, that you're not going to get a lot of those reps, Uh, at wide receiver. So it means you need to find a way to contribute in special teams. And maybe Jones is a bad example because he was a special team standout. But let's just say for like, you know, uh, 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 whatever position, uh, a a, a seventh cornerback, a a fourth safety, and now special teams are going to be a big part of, of you getting a chance to get on the field in the NFL, but you didn't do it a lot in college. How hard is it to come to grips with that? You know, it's, that's a phenomenal question, man, because let me tell you something. I, I can give you my personal experience. You know, they say you come in, you got to cut your teeth by playing the special team. Dude, I ain't never tackled nobody in my life. So if, if that's the way I'm going to get snaps, I'm in trouble because, again, I don't have the skill set to go out there and understand angles and know how to tackle with my face or my shoulders. So I'm at a huge disadvantage. So... I think coaches are smart enough to understand, yeah, you can put that backup linebacker. You can put that backup cornerback. You can put that tough tight end on special teams. But receivers, okay, I get it. If a guy wants to grit through and make the team, that's the way to do it. You got to go do it. But they're behind the eight ball because they never played. They never they never played defense and converts. Remember, special teams is not an offensive weapon for the most part. Special teams is thought of as obviously a neutral position where if you can get an advantage, if you can score some points, if you can get field positions, that's wonderful. So as a rookie, it just depends on who you are and what position you play. I I, I can I can just go through I, I look at I'll never forget what Tiger Woods a uh, Tiger Woods, Tiger Johnson that is, put me on the special teams on the kickoff team. <laughs> it was the most comical film session in my ten year career. It was like Tiger, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to running away from people, not running to people. And then you're asking me to tackle someone? Oh, hell to the no. I can't do that. So guess what? I didn't last long on special teams, but they turned me into a, a kickoff return or a punt return, which I did fairly well. And then, you know, my opportunity came 
when uh, Chris got hurt and, and things evolved from a positive standpoint for my career. But that's a tough question because it's each each player represents something totally different to the football team. Um, is is when you were talking about the rookies a second ago, something popped into my mind, and I, I was curious. Is when, when you talk about everything's ramped up for a rookie, maybe that first two or three days. What's more overwhelming, the, 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 the power of the pro game or the speed of the pro game? The speed. Because, again, you're not doing a lot of it. The speed as in the information and how you have to get out on the, uh, on the football field. And in a nanosecond, you have to learn to adapt and adjust. And I'm talking like, remember something about rookies, Tom. Uh, when you're going into camp, the, the coaches are getting ready for a season. And they're going to get ready for the season with or without a rookie. If that's just not what they're, something they're going to rely on. Rookies are a plus. They're the gravy. It's like, oh, man, if we can get a rookie performance, that would be wonderful, depth or whatever. But we've already made up our mind. We've penciled in, you know, 22 starters, and we know who we're going to rely on going into the season. And we're looking for additions not subtractions. So rookies have a lot to think about. But, you know, you always tell rookies if, if, you're, in the, if you're in the meeting room with them, you, you give them some advice and you just say, man, just relax. Let it come to you. You know, you were a star, you know, just six months ago, you were a star player at the university of whatever, but now you're at the bottom of the depth chart. Trust me, we all have been there and done that. I was a first round draft pick and guess what? I had no idea why the Bengals drafted me. I had no idea when I was going to play or if, even if I was going to play that what role would I play and how would that affect my career from a long-term or individual goal standpoint? So you have to let things materialize. And it's a frustrating process, but you just got working and working and working because you're one injury, one opportunity away from you being out on that football field. So you have to be ready. All right, last two things I want to ask you about. What were your thoughts on uh, Joe Mixon restructuring the contract? I mean, we've been talking about it a while, but they finally got it done. I read the headlines and uh, restructured his contract because uh, he's on the Super Bowl team, blah, blah, blah. Joe Mixon restructured his contract. Here's the real deal, because if he didn't, he was going to get cut, just plain and simple. So he did the right thing. He did the right thing for the team. He did the right thing for himself. He knew his future was here. He's comfortable here. He's comfortable with Zach Taylor. That gives the team a, a, a serious boost because, you know, when the, the June 1st, Cuts come into play. You never know who your team is going to be or who's not going to be, who will be affected and who will not be affected. But now you got one of your one best premier backs in the National Football League. And he has a little bit something to because he's coming off an off year for himself. So I think the kid's uh, hungry and excited. And I, if he can get past all the other stuff that he has going on, if he can get past that and focus on football, we know he's a heck of a talent. Yeah, he is. All right, last thing I wanted to ask you about. Uh, Zach Taylor always seems to be sort of evolving, and he, we, we forget he's still such a young man, young coach, whole nine yards. Uh, he, he, he has really backed off how much he pushes guys during the offseason. Um, last year, I was very critical of Zach Taylor uh, for not trying to mesh together in uh, the preseason uh, where he had four out of five new starters on the offensive line. They didn't play at all in the preseason. I know they practiced together, but no games, no snaps together in the preseason. Their first two games, they give up 13 sacks uh, against the Steelers and the Cowboys. Now, whether or not that's because of uh, the preseason, probably not, but nonetheless, 
Uh, knowing you have now a serious competition going on at right tackle because Lyle Collins appears to be getting stronger by the day. Uh, we know about Jonah Williams making the change, brand new position for him. And I'm not ruling out Jackson Carmen. Uh, I think the light bulb has finally come on for that young man, and he's a big, strong, talented guy. Um, do you suspect that Taylor is going to be forced to play those guys in games during the preseason, or is that overrated? I think that's overrated. Okay. The bottom line is, yes, someone's going to get hurt when they find out that one in but that's what football, good, very good, which the team is, that's a, a such a compliment to have that depth, that competition where, just remember, you're number one right now, but 1A and 1B are right looking down, looking down your throat, ready for that opportunity. So you better go out there and perform from day one. You better come and be a professional day one. That's what makes Super Bowl teams. When you have depth, when they have an injury, notice I said when they have an injury on the offensive line, look what you just said. They have three formidable players that they can instantly turn to. And guess what? The talent level may not go down. It actually may go up. So that's what you need. And that is a coach's dream. That's not a problem. And it's not a problem for a player because again, Every year, I wanted to be pushed, or anyone wants to be pushed. If you're a fierce competitor, push me. That makes me better. If you're that good that you can take my job, come with it. And that is something I think the Cincinnati fans should just be so appalled at, that we finally have gotten a, an opportunity where we look at our football team and we go, man, we pretty much got a potential all-pro almost at every position. Now we got to go out there and stay healthy is always number one. Number two is keep your quarterback healthy. And number three, execute. And good things will happen. All right. No, but before I let you go, because you just, you just brought up, you, you said the quarterback. Now, they're, they're, they're really two years away from having to get a contract done for Joe Burrow, right? Um, but – Knowing how you're going to be asked about it day after day after day in training camp if it doesn't get done, day after day after day if the regular season gets started, uh, about a contract, are you talking to the team, or is your representative talking to the team, on and on and on and on. Is it important for the psyche, the collective, individually for the quarterback and collectively for the team to have Joe Burrow's contract done before the season starts? Not really. I think it's more important to Higgins and the um, other players on the roster than Joe. Everyone knows Joe's going to get his money back. Now, here's the funny thing about it. I think on the contrary, that when you look at Joe Burrow's situation, if I'm the Bengals, yeah, you got to field some questions. Zach Taylor got to field some questions about Joe Burrow's contract. But however, not only are the, is the clock running, the price is going higher and higher and higher. So it's probably in their best interest to sign him sooner than later because, again, you're going to – I don't know if you'll be able to fill up Paycor Stadium with all the dollars that Joe Burrow's going to get. He's going to break the bank. We know it. I don't think it's going to be a distraction. I don't think there's many other players on the Bengals roster that's really feeling sorry for Joe Burrow right now because, again, he's already getting paid. And now, again, he's just going to break – 
the bank. And then once that happens, but I don't think you're going to see much change in Joe Burrow today as you would if he inked this contract tomorrow. But I go back to my original comment. I think the other guys, especially T. Higgins, I think they're the most important ones because they're the ones really going to be affected by this year on how they do because they're heading to, like in, in T. Higgins' case, he's heading to free agency. So, you know, it's it's. I think they'll get it done. But if they get it done, you know, again, it's going to be that, Tom, spend your money on offense and draft on defense. That's pretty okay. much on how to, how to do All right, buddy. Thanks for your time today, my friend. Great seeing you again, Tim. We'll catch up soon. All right. Thanks, Tom. Okay. All right, man. Tim McGee, former Bengal great. Love having Tim McGee around. The guy is, uh, you know, if you haven't joined us before and we've had Tim, he just has such a unique perspective because he was a number one draft pick, great college player, Tennessee, turned out to have a, a great career as a pro. Uh, he went on to become an agent, which he did that for a long time. So we understand sort of the in and outs of getting all this stuff done. Uh, you know, look, we've asked Paul Doherty, we've asked uh, Tim McGee now. But let me ask you, Casey, as a fan, and we'll go around the horn here because everybody's a Bengal fan in this room. Okay, you heard what he said about Joe Burrow, and I think he's spot on about Burrow. Burrow's makeup and who he is and what he's all about. I don't think he's going to be affected one way or the other, whether this thing gets done as far as his production is concerned, right? Or his approach is concerned. That's not going to change. He's a leader of the team. He's the man. But as a fan, are you going to start getting angry, um, dismayed? And I don't mean in the sense that Burrow's going to leave and go somewhere else because he's not going anywhere. He's not allowed to go anywhere for at least two years, and even then he ain't going anywhere. He's going to be here. Yeah. But does it matter to you if they don't get his contract done uh, between now and, say, the, uh, the start of the season, regular season? Um, I'm not going to be upset for this regular season. Um, I start getting concerned next off season if that doesn't get taken care of by then. Um, I mean, it, if we want everything to be perfect sunshine and rainbows, we get it done before the start of the season, but that, it, that might not be realistic and it wouldn't be in Joe Burrow's advantage to do that anyways, because he wants to wait like we said before about the Justin Herbert contract, let that come through, let a couple other contracts come through, push up the value so he can have top dollar. And he deserves top dollar. Um, I think it's almost consensus that he's the second best quarterback, if not the third, and he's definitely not the fourth best quarterback. He, he you know, he's in the top three. So he deserves top dollar. Um, and if they don't get it done, I'm not going to be upset with Burrow. I'm going to be upset with the Bengals. They just need to give him what he wants. You know well, I mean? well, that's what I'm getting at. I mean, Fred in the chat says, if the Burrow extension doesn't happen, I'm officially thinking the worst. Of the Bengals? Oh, yeah, I would. You just – you give him a blank check. I don't care. I, I just you, – you give him what he wants. You figure it out later. Paul? I'm not worried about it. They're going to get it done. Yeah. They signed a stadium deal for no, this No, but that's thing. not what I asked you. I asked you if they don't get it done before the start of this no. year. Zero things about the Joe Burrow contract concern me. Zero things. It's going to happen. They're going to figure it out. They've <clears throat> invested way too much into figuring how to get, 
figuring out how to get this right. They're going to get it right. Yeah. Gentlemen? It makes more financial sense to get it done sooner than later. I would be concerned if it's not signed by next year, but by this year, no. I'm not concerned as of this second that, it, that, it, that they're not going to get it done or that that's in jeopardy. But if you're the Bengals, I would like it to get it. I would like that contract to be signed before Herbert, so we get the so we get the best value. Right. I know. I know. Obviously, Burrow would want to wait, but you know, it financially it makes sense for the Bengals to get it done as soon as possible. Yeah. No, I've talked about this before, but I, I'm certainly not worried this year. I, I, my worry starts week one next season. Um, if I had to guess, I think they're probably doing, trying to do at least T. Higgins, Logan Wilson, and Joe Burrow at the same time. Um, you need to get Burrow's structure figured out before you can even think about signing those other guys. So I assume that's a collective conversation. Every time Burrow's talked about his contract, I know it's been a while. He said he was done making comments on it, but every comment he has made has been pretty straight up. I want to keep my weapons here. I want to keep the guys around me. So, I mean, I have some optimism that he's going to get it done sooner rather than later. I don't think he's waiting for a, uh, for a Herbert deal. I don't think the, the value is necessarily what is driving the negotiations to take a little longer than we'd like. I think it's the structure. Um, and, and that's what's going to take a while. I think he's going to be right in that low 50s range, right, where Jalen Hurts signed. I think 55 is probably where you're topping out, but that's going to be on a longer-term deal where you can backload it. Um, yeah, I'm really not worried about it. I think it's more the other guys that I would worry about. Hmm. Interesting stuff here. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on it? Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I always find the whole psyche thing interesting. I, you know, and, and really, you really can't quantify it, qualify it, uh, because it is the psyche, the mentality. Um, but, you know, for those of us, you know, you guys are, are, are young. And, I mean, you've seen this team the last couple of years really start to build and get good. And really, in your lifetime, I mean, they never won a playoff game, but you saw some good Bengals teams with Andy Dalton. We got to the playoffs from Marvin Lewis five, six, seven times. I mean, I'm old enough to remember the dark, dark, dark days for a decade and a half. Right. Where, I mean, it was brutal. Now, I am not in any form or fashion comparing this team to those days and saying that's where this is going. I'm not. But there is a perception out there about the Bengals for a lot of people my age and a little bit younger where you're like, Ooh, boy, I've kind of seen this movie before. Or I've kind of seen this situation before. And then all of a sudden, you know, one thing sort of dominoes into the next thing. And then the next thing. And then you're going, how did all that just happen? I mean, literally, the team that Tim McGee played on, and I've said this before, that 88 team would beat this current team, in my opinion. I think they would dismantle this team this current team, in my opinion. The offensive line, no comparison. Skill position players may not be quite as good at wide receiver, but not that far behind. Running back room, they were much better. They had Stanley Wilson. They had Icky Woods. They had James Brooks. They had uh, a quarterback who may not have the career that Burrow had, but it's, it's a Hall of Fame potential quarterback player, right? The defense, um, you know, they, they had some guys just like the Bengals have some guys now in the secondary that, you know, eh, and that's, that's a story of a cornerback's life. But they were still pretty good cornerbacks. They had David Fulcher, perennial all-pro at safety. They have Crumry up front. I mean, this was a good team. 
And I'm only bringing all this up because for those of you old enough to remember, um, it's amazing how fast that team fell apart. And I don't mean from like, you know, from going to the Super Bowl to, you know, yeah, they, 1990, they made it and they got beat by the Raiders. That's a Bo Jackson game when he got hurt, right? Sam Weish is here. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you take a straight nosedive into oblivion. Well, you're lucky to win two, three games a year. And again, I'm not comparing and saying that this is going to happen. The point I'm making is there are a lot of people that will start, as it was pointed out in the chat, there are people that will start to get very uneasy about, boy, we've seen this before. And what's going on down there? Or what if all of a sudden now we didn't get the Burrow thing done and the Higgins saying we're kind of, you know, what about Wilson? And, you know, and then Reader, right? All of a sudden he's a free agent. And all these things kind of start a woozy ace coming back from a knee injury. Then you don't break. What happens? If you, if you get Burrow's deal done, it says to everybody out there, free agent players from other teams, maybe first and foremost. Yes, your fan base. But it says to, because everybody wants to play with Burrow, right? Right. I mean, Gronkowski was even kidding around about that stuff last year. If I had to come back, I want to play with that guy. Right. And that's the way free agent players are going to look at this team. They're going to look at the franchise and the big picture. Are the Bengals, yeah, they're doing things right here the last couple of years. They hit the lottery with having that number one pick in Burrow. They hit the lottery with making the pick on Chase, top five pick. They, they, they brought in the right coordinators. They've kept these guys around. They've done a great job bringing in some free agents. They've done a good job in the draft. All these kinds of things. But the perception from other players out there is they're still the Bengals. And if you don't get the quarterback done, I just wonder what, it, it's, it, what kind of statement without making a statement that might be. Does that make any sense? Or not really? No, I mean, I think I think I understand what you're saying. Um, I'm not sure if it's that this season, though. You know, I, I don't know if if it if that really takes place maybe next year. You know, the, after the fifth year deal, because then it's like, all right, now we're wasting franchise tag. Well, wasting, but you get the point. You're like, using you're, you're, you're using, using it. You're yeah. having. You have to use them. To and keep we've seen them the mess already that that's that's having right now with running backs in the league. Yeah. Or just Lamar. I mean, the, the Ravens fans were pounding the table. Just sign him. Just sign him. Just sign him. Or, you know, and then they just kept giving him the franchise tag. And, uh, I mean, it's a different situation with, with uh, the uh, level of talent there and, and the injury history. But at the same time, I mean, we were sitting here like, man, this Ravens organization is – not looking great. But see, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's precisely what I'm talking about. You can have an opinion. There are more people that would wonder about signing Lamar Jackson because of the things you just said. His style of play, which leads to getting hurt, which he's been each of the last two years. More so than they question Burrow getting hurt, right? Right. Okay, well, and whether that's true or false, I don't know. You put yourself at risk of injury when you're running around with a ball. Um but, but, but think of how that thing seemed to never end last year. The Lamar Jackson stuff, right? Yep. That's what I'm talking about. That's the stuff that will happen. 
at least it will, there will be people talking heads of the world, like, like all of us, that we're, if we're sitting here the third week of the year and the Bengals start the season like they did last year, we're going to be sitting around here talking about why isn't Joe Burrow's contract done. It's true. Yeah. It's just an extra thing holding this team back if we don't get started right. It's just going to be an extra narrative going on. Yeah, I mean, you have to start hot if you don't get this contract done. And I think it shows, it shows the fan base you're willing to sign. It's a, it's a commitment to the, to the plan. It's a commitment to Joe. It's a commitment to everything. Uh, so the sooner this gets done, the sooner everybody can stop talking about it, like Tom said. We just get back to business. Start winning football games. I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. Um, okay, Ham and Eggers, whatever else is on your mind. And I need some help from all of you here. So I want you to chime in on the chat. I'm going to leave you this w- before we go to the Ham and Eggers. All right, tomorrow uh, I brought up that uh, I'm having our, our son Luke come in here tomorrow for a sit-down. He's our big interview tomorrow, Luke Brenneman. Right, graduated from high school, did the same thing with my daughter when she graduated a couple of years ago. Uh, and it was met with a lot of, of incredible reception. I think people just like the whole family kind of, you know, dynamic to it. We all do. We like some of those stories. Um, I need your help on what, if you were me, because I've been sitting here really wrestling with this whole thing. Um, and maybe some of the dads out there and the non-dads out there. I need some help on some of the things you would like me to ask him about. Okay, I mean, I could talk to him about what he did in high school, you know, whether it's, you know, some of the, uh, the academic part of it or the sources of strength part of it that he was very uh, engaged in. And that's a big thing in, in schools all over the country now, the sources of strength, right, and recognizing mental health. And, and, uh, and, you know, I can talk about his athletics and all that sort of stuff, but... What are some of the other things that you would be curious about that if you could ask Luke Brenneman, and somebody might have said the same thing about Tom Brenneman growing up with Marty Brenneman as your dad, right? What would you ask him about? So I'm going to ask you guys to give me a little help. I'm going to ask guys in the chat to give me a little help because I'm scuffling here. Ham and Eggers! It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Hmm. Questions asked, Mr. Blue Collar Brenny. My first question would be um, his next winner. Um, that would be. We need winners of- desperately around we need here. Winners would- bad. Yeah. So, so we were talking uh, last night about how badly we need winners, and Casey was saying with his current financial situation, how badly he needs a winner. So we need to get you a winner, Casey. Yeah. Three more days till we all get a couple thousand dollars from Split the Pot, though. Yeah, right. what, is, what is the current Split the Pot? Uh, did you see what it was it's last night? It's not it's, high. It's not doing great. It's not? No. no. I think it was oh, like, it no. Was, our, pri- our prize right now is estimated at $3,700. Oh. Yeah. And that split, like, what, like eight two, ways? Two hundred bucks. Yeah. That's eight. No, 11, I, 11 ways. 11 ways? Yeah. Yikes. It'll go. It'll Three more grow. games. Three more games. Three more games. Financial freedom, huh? Financial freedom, Casey. That, as of right now, that's $336 a person. Well, that's enough for a casino I'm not, night. I'm not turning my nose up at that. 
What are our chances that we think we're going to win this thing? Zero. <laughs> I would say 1%. We have to have at least 1% of the numbers. Not over. If it was just last night, I would agree. I don't think we're going to have 1% of the numbers over a four-game series. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, that ticket is so massive. It's massive. Just holding it makes me feel like it's, it's an automatic win. I feel the wealth in the ticket. I mean, when, I when just, the ticket is in my hand, I feel good. I don't even care about the money. I just want it to win just for the legacy of Chatterbox. Hmm. Interesting. What? I would actually do care about the money, but I, I see your <laughs> but I see your point. I see your point. Just the just the thought. Just the trophy. Yeah. Just the win. Just the win. I. Uh, I What's going to stink? So all of those numbers probably start with the same number, right? Yeah. Like that's – how many numbers do we have? 500? I, I, have, I have no earthly idea. 220 times whatever. $220 worth. Okay. So somewhere probably in the range of 550 numbers, something like that. Yeah. But every single number starts with the same digit, correct? I think so. – I haven't looked, but yeah. I think so. I How think devastating correct. is it going to be if we start with one and the winning ticket starts with seven? Yeah, that'll be brutal. We don't even get to look at the rest of the numbers. <laughs> that'll be brutal. <laughs> that'll be brutal. God. I've never had a ticket that started with the right numbers either, and all of them are the same. I mean, I, I, I play the 50-50 probably 95% of the games I go to. And uh, I, I think this season I've had one ticket get even the first number correct. I had the first two numbers on one of my tickets. I think it was a week ago, two weeks ago. That had to feel pretty good. It felt great. And on, and on, it felt like I won, but I didn't, obviously. I was 10 numbers away. When, you know what the worst feeling is? What? When you buy – so you know at the end, at the very end, every ticket is generated the same uh, – it, it, it's generated so if you bought 25 tickets your tickets would be you know 0 to 25 of whatever the long list of numbers are it would just give you a a different you know third to last digit and then right. 0 to 25 of whatever that is so say you bought 25 tickets and you see that the final two digits are 41 you know you're a loser yeah you know you're out brutal you don't even have to look at the first number. You know you're out. It's tough. It's all right. We need some positivity with this. Yep. Tom, did you contribute to our 50-50? Is no, Tom he, in on it? No, he did not. No, I did not. Okay. The Tracer did. Tracer he did. is well, yeah, he pulled out the receipt. Yeah. So Tracy Split did. Split the pot you're talking Split about. Split the pot. Yeah. Right, right. So we'll see if we win. It always makes me feel good because half of it goes to the Reds Community Fund, so. I've never won that one. I've never won Xavier's. One day. I've taken chances everywhere. I've been across the country. Didn't win the Diamondbacks What's last the year. highest number that uh, – has that ever been reported what the highest total is for a Reds game when they get like a sellout crowd? It had to have been an opening day. I would have bet my life it was an opening day one day. I don't know what it would be, but it had to have been an opening day. Uh – they, yeah, I don't know. The largest I, I, split the pot ever was $2.5 million at the or, uh, Probably a hockey game. The Oilers playoff game. Yep. $2.5 so, million. Dollars. Goodness gracious. Two point five, And that's in a hockey arena with like probably 20,000 people, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, there was in 2020 during the COVID year, they did some special split the pot and it got $186,000. I don't remember that one. I think the, I think the split the pot was different during COVID. Well, was it, the, you can buy them online now. Yes. Uh, they, they introduced that when they did the online pizzas for strikeouts at the same time, I think right around COVID. Oh, what? Really? During, yeah, yeah. Wait. During COVID, when you got a ticket, you had to scan a QR code for the pizzas, and it was all online. That's when they did the split the pot online as well. Oh. Uh, the opening day this year is the largest one this year. It was $85,000. Isn't that hard to believe? I mean, that a hockey game? Now, were they doing that as part of the telecast? Where no, no, no. Could Tom, do- almost every hockey game, like every, almost every game will be in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions. Yeah, the people, the Canadian hockey fans drive up the 50-50s like crazy. Like, it's not out of the ordinary to have a million dollar split the pot. In That's Canada. unbelievable when yeah. you think about 20, maybe maybe in the biggest venues, 22, 23,000, right? Is that about right? Yeah. As opposed to... You know, forty something at Great American Ballpark. That two point five million was the winnings too, by the way. So that's a five million dollars split the pot. Yeah, that's not uncommon. You've got to be he kidding. He won two point five million dollars. Wow. Yeah, that's not uncommon for uh, Canadian hockey teams. Well, more like eight hundred thousand dollars because of taxes. Thank you, Casey. But. <laughs> All right, we're getting some good questions in here. I asked for your help, and, man, we've gotten some fabulous responses. Thank all of you right away about some of the things that I could ask Luke about tomorrow. Uh, Blue-collar Brenny. We'll start with that. Uh, Let's see. His ultimate goal in life, okay. Um, And, by the way, uh, RM said you processed a family pass for us at Kings Island a few years ago. Long time ago. So thank you for that. Uh, who's a better Brenneman, Tom or Marty? That's a landslide. Uh, <laughs> landslide. You figure out who it is. Uh, what was it like to have a dad as a broadcaster being gone a lot? Is he a Diamondbacks, Reds, or Cubs fan? Well, he wasn't born when I was with the Cubs, so it ain't them. Um, let's see. Trying to find some other uh, suggestions here. What about you guys? You guys have any suggestions here? I like this one, right? Well, where was the one I said? Um, Ask Luke what his biggest fear is about going to college next year. Said, I've had a lot of great conversations with my 17-year-old son about that topic. Not bad. Appreciate that. All right. Any of you have anything at all you'd like to add? Um, I would ask him what's his plan. Does he have a plan yet? Does he have a a plan of what he's going to do in college? I would actually be really interested to hear what Luke wants to do. Yeah. Like, because we know he wants to be a broadcaster, right? I mean, he's broadcasted at Marymont, and he's I, – I mean, I've heard from a producer that I work with that worked with him that said he was really good. I don't know if I told you that. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, uh, just given you and Marty and, and uh, continuing on the line, I'd love okay. to hear that. All right. Hear a little bit more about that. Okay. I would like to propose him a very, very similar question about what he wants to do, but say – the the betting advice career like as a uh, a host for a betting show were offered and play by play was offered which route would he take that's a very good question yeah he's a very good he's a very good uh can't say he's a gambler better he's a very good 
uh, advice giver, better bet, betting advice, right? Gives a lot of good advice. Gives lots of good advice. Well, that that runs hot and cold. I mean, you guys are living. Uh, look at look at Elliot here. I mean, he's case in point. I don't know about the hot with Elliot. Though. Yeah, I was getting ready to say, when's the hot come? I I hit a big parlay on Saturday, Tom. I hit a big parlay. It was five, what was the parlay? What it was, was it? It was eight legs, Tom. It was five dollars to win four hundred and ten. Really? Eighty-two to one. Eighty-two to one. That's right. It's big time. Now, granted, before that, I was on the coldest streak of all time. So it's probably right back to even. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember what the parlay was? I don't remember all the legs. It was four unders and four money lines. But I do four unders, four money lines. So I do four teams outright, and then I do four uh, totals. Was this all baseball? Yeah, all baseball. All baseball. And he didn't even show us in the chat. He didn't give out his winners in the chat. Sure, I I didn't give out the winners. I could have used that $400. Come on, Elliot. We'll try. We'll try. Here's a good one. Luke's favorite celebrity he, he ever got to meet. That's a good one. He's met a lot of them. Hmm. A lot of them. Football and uh, baseball, for sure. A lot of them. He's been very lucky in that regard. He's been very lucky in multiple. Let's get his favorite memory of the 2015 Home Run Derby being on the field. Yeah, that's right. That's I want right. to know whether he's more excited for IU basketball games or Big Ten football games. Well, you know who Indiana season opener is against. I know. I know. How are you going to be feeling on that one? Oh, I know how I'm going to be feeling. I'm going to be feeling good watching Marvin Harrison and, yes, sir. and Mick Egbula running all over the field and uh, scoring touchdowns for the Mighty Buckeyes. Uh, PETA wants to know, does Luke like animals unlike Casey? <laughs> I love animals, PETA. Love them. I have four of them myself. I'm going to have to show them to, so that you people can believe me. And you've killed dozens more. I've not killed very many on purpose, accidental. Um, he, he, here's a question I have. I have heard this, and I'm being very serious when I say this. Steve Cashman says in the chat, baseball is very hard to bet. Said it broke me. I've heard quite the contrary from people who are, are gamblers about baseball, which is correct. It just depends on what you're doing. A lot of people think baseball is easy when you get into player props because you can parlay guys to get hits together. And there's so, if you go into the analytics, like there are ways to go in there and build different parlays that you feel like you can have some confidence in because of you know whether it's park factors for home runs or whatever it might be. Pitching matchup, whatever. Yeah, but p- pitching matchups, you know, strikeouts for pitchers. Player props are really, really popular in baseball. Where it becomes tough is simply just betting teams to win because it's the classic every team wins a third and loses a third of their games. So you could bet on the Rays. And the money lines are so big. Go ahead. Let me ask you. Well, I was going to ask you guys this. Which sport has the most parity, do you think? On any given day, any team can win. What do you think which, – which sport gives you the most unpredictability? I'd say baseball. You think it's baseball? Well, the I, right answer – right well, go ahead. I still think it's NFL. I, I, NFL yeah. On any given Sunday, any team can win. I still think – Really? Parody, I think, yeah. I think the NFL of pro sports is the, is the most even, yeah. Because last And year, I'm very surprised by that. Last year, a ton of underdogs. If you remember the first half of that season, there was just underdogs winning every week. The, the favorites were getting blown out, so – 
I think the chart the Chargers got destroyed by Jacksonville. I think the Bills lost to the Jets, right? Yep. Nine nothing yep. or something. So I, I there's just so much parody in the NFL. I think it's I, but I, I do think the MLB it's like, you know, if 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 it's a four game series, you're up three zero. That fourth game probably probably not going to favor the home or favor the team that's up three zero. So there is some predictability there. But I think NFL is still most unpredictable. MLB close second. Yeah, no, I'd agree with Elliot on that one. Yeah, I'd say baseball, but I just think when you look at when you look at even the worst, even even the worst money lines. Now I know that yes, an underdog can win in the NFL, but I'm just going based on the betting lines. If if you look even at the worst betting line in a in a baseball game, maybe you see you know the Dodgers being like minus two fifty or something. You get a plus two hundred underdog in baseball, and it's a crazy night. You, know, you can see a football team at plus six, plus seven hundred every week. So, yeah, I mean, from that now, but the flip side of that argument is that those plus or six or seven hundred teams, when, when those lines do appear, those teams do win every once in a while. So, you know, but it's it's kind of goes back to the same thing when you talk about like March Madness now where you're starting to see more and more, uh, you know, 15s or 16 seeds win. You've seen a 16 seed win twice now in the last five mm-hmm. years where – Somebody will go in there and bet every single underdog for the entire Right, we tournament. talked about this. We right. talked about this. But the thing about that is you have to bet every underdog. Like if you're going to say, I'm going to bet every underdog and see if it's a profitable strategy, you have to do every – because like this past year, now this past year had some more upsets than in, in other years, but it might be where a 16 seed winning at plus 1,800, you know, 18 to 1 – that might be what turns you profitable. Sure. And if you just said, I'm going to advance all the one seeds and you didn't take that, then your strategy backfires and you're down $1,000. Whereas if you took that 18 to 1, that keeps you afloat for the whole rest of the tournament. So, you know, there's there's parity in every sport to an extent. But, you know, in college football, how the, no, Michi- no the Michigan App State, football. there's no parity in college football. There's no parity in college football. And there's, there's no, you know... Even in college basketball, really, I mean, you'll you'll see upsets in March Madness, but for the most part, like, the okay, so March Madness, you have two or three of the best teams lose, but over the course of a 353, 363 team league, you know, Division One, and you, you see a couple upsets here and there. It's not as much as, as baseball and basketball. I, I mean, Yash is right. European soccer is the correct answer, but nobody in this room cares about that. That's correct. So, uh, Two things real quick. Casey, uh, this being your first fall football season as a married man. Yep. Are you back on the Betfred sports uh, train? Or has uh, are those days long in your past now? Being a better on Betfred, of course. <laughs> I'm going to be betting every single game for the most part. Now, every... I'm going to, now I'm going to be – so for our fall schedule, it's still up in the air. We might be doing some Miami stuff. I don't know. But we've got some Sunday stuff planned right in the middle of those games. So I'm going to have some bets. I'm going to have my phone open up to the game on the side while I'm doing some soccer and field hockey. But, yes, I will be, I will be betting Bengals. You best believe. Sundays in the and, fall are very hard. I'll and, be honest. And you know what? I'm going to almost always, almost hit 
every single parlay. That's every right. Every single week. That's right. Because that's oh, what happened. There's no doubt. Season. There's no doubt. That's been said before. And the last thing I want to ask about is I had never heard of this Caleb guy. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. 513. Caleb 513. Yeah, until you guys were filling me in on him yesterday. Local ball hawk. Ball hawk. And he gets all the home runs and batting practice, goes to all the games, right? And even during the game, he finds himself in a position where he, he's right there in the hunt. Correct. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. For a ball. Did something happen with him last night? So I believe what happened was he was fielding a ball, as most ball hawks do. They stand out in right field, and they act like they're professional athletes. And, and a ball was hit to him, and a kid, a kid was behind him trying to field a ball. There's a friend other, of Reed Mouse. A friend of Reed Mouse, a Baden, a Baden student. And apparently he, he he was going for the ball and Caleb was going for the ball and the kid hit on uh, hit on the back of Caleb's neck and then he put, posted a tweet saying uh, Caleb got mossed, which is a very uh, clever way of saying he got just destroyed. I thought it was very funny. I thought it was very funny. People won't agree with it, but it's very funny. No one got hurt. No one got hurt. Everybody's okay, good, safe. Good. I want to make sure nobody no got, got hurt, hurt and there was no violence involved here. None of that kind of thing. I mean, if the guy's into going and getting home run balls, uh, good for him, right? Yep, yep. (laughs) Yes. You say that with absolutely zero respect, don't you, Elliot? Nope, I respect him. I respect him. I think it's Tom. I think it's weird. Tom, I think it's weird. Tom, I think it's weird. There it is. I think it's somebody asked me my sir boy says, what are my thoughts on K? I I I don't even know who the guy is. I just found out who he was yesterday. I don't have any thoughts on the guy. I I think the people who do that and take home runs from little kids, I think those people are weird. And I think I think it's I don't know, it it's something that Zach Hampel started, Tom. You probably don't know who Zach Hampel is. No. He's a famous ball hawk. And the MLB community and his profession is he goes around to each MLB stadium. So he goes to a, literally 162 MLB games a year and he tries to catch home run balls and foul balls. Now, does he job. turn around and make money off those things or what's he doing? Yeah, he does. Well, well he, he, like he caught A-Rod's 3,000th hit that was a home run. He's caught Mike Trout's first home run. Wow. Like he travels to games. He travels all over the country for games. Just so like he, he must be like independently wealthy. From these baseballs. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. Okay. Uh, my take on that is if, if you're over the age of like 16, 17, and you catch a, a ball, give it to a kid. Like I'm, I'm a big time give the ball to a kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, look, uh, I just heard about the dude, and, I, and it seemed like somebody in the chat was saying something went down and say um, whatever. So, I mean, God bless him. We go get a home run ball tonight. Uh, Reds win the game, uh, the suspended game, and then they go on to win the uh, the nightcap. It's a big one. Big five hours at GABP tonight. Do we have a cherry on top? Well, we can do one of two things. Actually, let's just run the cherry on top. Let's right. uh, the tweet. Run the cherry on top. No, 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 no. Oh, do you have the tweet? I'm about to pull it. Okay. I sent it to you, Casey. Okay. Yep. And then we need to get one final thing before we say goodbye. Oh, today. of course. I know what one you're talking about. Because we, uh, <laughs> we have our guy on the mountain tonight. All right. Run it. Poor guy. Bad. He got eaten last night. Oh, is this Tarp Gate? The wretched Tarp Monster. The Tarp Monster. The tarp monster. It, it got him. It was hungry. Where is he? Right in the middle. Oh, you can see oh, when he no. starts to bow in like that. Oh, boy. Oh, oh, no. 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 Oh, no.
You got swallowed. And they just keep on moving. Can't stop for nothing, Paul. No. Wait. Oh, my let, God. Let it run. He's a, he they're crawled. about to pan the camera. There he is. Oh, there's the crawl. There he is. There's the crawl. That go. looked like some of our guests leaving the ballpark last night. <laughs> <laughs> to get in their Uber. Oh, my God. That's a Giants telecast doing that. That was the Giants telecast. Let me tell you how that happened. They have the best director that has ever lived in the history of baseball directing their games. This is the kind of stuff he lives for. They to catch this stuff when everybody else is doing just something else commercial, throw into some other replay video thing, whatever. Jim Lynch, this is the stuff the guy lives for. They just got voted the best broadcast crew in baseball. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, they're unbelievable. Um, okay. So um, I'm glad that uh, he's okay. Um, they do a great job at grounds crew. Everywhere grounds crews, they do a great job. Boy, that lady, I was in Annapolis when the uh, Orioles and the Reds were playing. Oh, yeah, she's that, awesome. Man, she's on her game. She is, yeah. yeah. she's on her game. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, so, you got the suspended game at 540. Giants will be at the plate in the eighth inning, 2-2 game. Runners at second and third, one out. We'll see how that plays out. We'll dissect that tomorrow. We got Luke Brenneman coming in tomorrow. Um, we thank Tracy Jones and Tim McGee for today. Casey, Paul, great hanging with you guys last night. Elliot, yep. Jake, great time. Thank everybody for coming. It really was a great night. I mean, to think we started this, you know, kind of whole thing 10 months ago, nine months ago, whatever it was, and that kind of turned out. It was, uh, it was touching, and uh, I sincerely say thank you. In the nightcap, Anthony D. Sclafani will start it for the Giants and starting it for the Reds. He's been a good luck charm, much like Ian Jabot. He's been a good <laughs> luck charm, and that would be Luke Dream Weaver. So here once again, Elliot with Gary Wright on the vocals, honoring Luke Dream Weaver. <laughs>